Hey everybody, this is Rave Telsh, and this is episode 46 of Have Not Seen This, a weekly in-depth look at a much-beloved movie, selected specifically by our guest, that they're a little surprised when they find out people have not seen. As always, hope everybody is having a great week out there. This is a really special episode. It's not because... We're back on Wednesdays like we're supposed to be, although that's a phenomenal thing. It's not because we've got a great movie to talk about, which we kind of do, which we'll get into in a minute. But this episode marks one year of doing Have Not Seen This. Our first episode came out September 18th of last year, so this marks the one-year mark. And we're not quite where I would like us to be, because I'd hoped we'd be about episode 50 by now, a little behind from that period of time where I wasn't able to get to the show. But uh, we're in a good place, and I'm really happy to be doing this, and I appreciate those of you who have been with me from the beginning, and I appreciate those of you who have come along. So I just wanted to take a second to say happy anniversary to me for the show, but also thank you to all of you who have listened who have come on the show, who have, you know, subscribed, who've given us positive reviews and ratings, who've spread the word. I just, I really appreciate it. It's so much fun to be doing this podcast, and I really appreciate the support from those of you out there who give it. And to those of you who are listening to this in the future because you found the show, welcome, and I appreciate you as well. So, happy anniversary, and thank you all. This week, we are looking at a movie that I probably should have held for a few weeks in order to put in the Halloween section, because I'm going to have some spooky movies this year if everything pans out the way it's supposed to. But I'm putting it out this week because it was such a wonderful conversation. I kind of got excited about putting it out, and it wasn't until I was listening to it that I, I thought this is more of a horror movie in our conversation than it actually is on screen. But the movie is 1987's The Wraith, which is one of those movies that I have not seen before doing in this podcast, and I had not even heard about, despite having some pretty big names associated with it. The guest this week is Casey Edison, who uh, is a writer and actual play podcaster, and had a surprise link to a previous guest that you'll hear about in the episode itself. Uh, She really surprised me with this connection, so I I hope you enjoy that as much as I do. So we're going to get into it. I should put forth a little bit of a trigger warning. I don't think anything in this movie is really that bad, but I suspect if I had watched this with my girlfriend at my side, she would have suggested I put a trigger warning up. There are some moments that kind of have a rapey vibe to them. There is some sexual abuse hinted at, uh, and and definitely uh, some misogynistic behavior in here that is definitely not cool and not okay, but it is part of the movie, and it is something that Casey and I do talk about. So here we go with 1987's The Wraith with Casey Edison. You're one of the rare guests I've had um, submit through the the guest form. So other than what you gave me there, I really don't know a whole lot about you. Why don't you tell me a little bit about yourself? Sure. Okay. Uh, So I am a giant film enthusiast, uh, especially for like really bad movies. I I can't tell you how many really, truly terrible movies I've subjected my friends to, and I don't know... uh, it's a good thing that they also like terrible movies. Otherwise, I don't think I would have any friends. Um, I also am a uh, writer. I write tabletop games. And then I also am a podcaster. I do like 
AP podcast, so like uh, actual play Dungeons and Dragons. Uh, actually, my someone on my Dungeons and Dragons podcast was just on your show. So who? Uh, it was Hem. Hem. Oh, you know Hem. Yeah. Oh, that's that's. <laughs> so did you find this through her, or is it just coincidence? No, I did. Yeah, Hem. Uh, I think like the week that you guys did your episode uh like we had our episode that uh our recording that sunday and she was like oh my god you guys i was just on this really great podcast i had such a really fun time talking about a movie and i was like well i like movies i'm gonna check out this podcast and so then i did (laughs) (laughs) that's that's what i like to hear so you got to tell me what kind of bad movies because i i I have a history of bad movies that my my stepfather introduced me to a lot of them. And we would do, uh, once I came of age, of course, we would do drunken movie nights where he would come to my apartment and we would watch like three or four bad movies while, you know, drinking. Um, I will watch basically any movie. Um, some of my, t- one of my, okay, one of my top favorite movies of all time is a movie that's like technically not a good movie. It's Prom Night 2, Hello, Mary Lou, which... <laughs> <laughs> It's just not a good movie, but uh, but I'll watch anything. I especially like bad horror. Um, I'm a horror buff, but I I've watched an extensive amount of movies by the guy who did Birdemic. I've actually seen all of his movies, which is something I don't recommend if you value your time, which I don't. Um, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I I mean, if you name a bad movie, I've probably seen it. <laughs> So, so what, okay. So you've said prom night too. Give me, give me just a couple more bad movies that are like your absolute go-to. Like if you find them on TV, you wouldn't change the channel or you go out of your way to watch them. Oh yeah. I feel like most of the ones I really like, no one's showing on TV. Um, <laughs> I really like uh, the apple, which is this like really weird musical from, I, I think it was from the seventies and it's like in the vein of Xanadu Ooh. where it's, it's, in like it's this musical about uh <laughs> the devil has a record company and he's and Adam and Eve are like pop singers who compete on Eurovision it is probably one of the strangest things and <laughs> i'm very excited cuz i'm making my friends watch it next week actually uh and then what else do i like um oh tiptoes which is just not oh my god 2003 was a was a, a year for bad movies, uh, Tiptoes is definitely one of those. I enjoy. I, I regretfully inform you that I enjoyed that movie. Um, <laughs> uh, what else? The Rocky Horror Picture Show. Oh uh, yeah, okay. And this is one of the things I love about film and I love about cinema is up until Rocky Horror Picture Show, you had not listed a movie that I had seen. Um, <laughs> although I have written the apple down, I have to see this movie because bad musicals in particular. Uh, are, are something I, I love, especially if they've got, you know, another genre element to them. So that sounds perfect for me. Oh, man. Yeah, you got it. It's it's super good. I only found it because Riff Tracks uh, did it. And oh. I so I watched their, uh, you know, riff of it. And then I was like, well, this is uh oh. So then I watched it like five more times without it. And, you know, you know how it is. Oh, yeah. 
I totally, totally understand. No, that's awesome. And I, I'm, I love that we're five minutes in and I've already got a list of movies to check out, even if they are <laughs> going to be bad movies. <laughs> oh man. Yeah. And also, uh, I really like Julie and Jack and I made my friends watch it once and I don't think my friend Joey has forgiven me for that. So Joey, if you're listening, I want to apologize once again for forcing you to sit through that movie, but <laughs> <laughs> So your friends have a line that you don't have is what you're saying. I don't know. Some of them do. Uh, I think that I'm very lucky in that I've acquired a group of friends who also enjoy just like really weird out there bad movies. I actually found The Wraith because of them. So I'm Uh, (laughs) very lucky about that. (laughs) Okay, cool. So before we get into discussing the movie... Uh, can can I get you to acknowledge, uh, you kind of already have, that this is not a good movie? Oh, 100%. No, this movie is just the most bewildering piece of cinema that I've ever seen. Uh- <laughs> I, 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 that's, that's a good, I mean, I don't think it's that bad. Um, I certainly enjoyed watching it, but it was se- certainly one of those movies that I was watching going, what the hell, why is my guest bringing this to me and i was like well actually that that perfectly suits why this is coming to the show but uh all right so let's go ahead and kind of jump into it we are talking today about the wraith from 1986 written and directed by mike marvin starring charlie sheen nick cassavetes Sherilyn finn and randy quaid an evil force took his life an unearthly power has brought him back he is a phantom a wraith a cosmic spirit given another chance. Uh, are you new in town? Yeah. Who's the kid? I turned my back and the next second he was there. Like magic almost. You ever seen one of those before? Nah, that's just added to our collection. kid out there using his car to kill people not that it's such a big deal since it seems to be your gang he's got it in for First up, I always ask, how do you describe this movie to someone who has not seen it? I mean, short of tying up your friends and putting it on and making them watch (laughs) it, how do you convince someone that they want to see this movie? Uh, So I have brought this movie into a lot of people's lives. And uh, the way that I usually explain this movie to people is there is a murder 
alien ghost angel with a car who is doing revenge drag racing against a bunch of cartoon villains. <laughs> <laughs> that's that's a really I wish I had had that description of it going, you know, going into it because the the Amazon it's on it's on Prime, well, it's on IMDb TV, which sidebar IMDb is supposed to be like the internet movie place. Why would IMDb TV have commercials in the middle of movies? But that's 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 beside the point. Um, the, the description is Jake is killed by neighborhood thugs and returns as a mystical figure to gain revenge. To which I thought I was watching like the crow type movie. That's what I thought I was going to be in for. And it is really not that movie. Yeah, I don't know why they bill it. Like, I saw somebody else once, like, bill it as, like, the crow, but with cars. And I I was just like, no, that's not even remotely no. close to what kind of experience you're going to get. Yeah, no, it's it's not. So out of all the movies, you just listed, like, four other bad movies that you love. Why this movie? I mean, I, I think you said it was, like, it's like a rite of passage with your friends. It is, yeah. So uh, I don't know. It's kind of like all of my all of my friends watch this movie. And I remember my friends sitting me down to watch this movie and they didn't they didn't actually explain anything about it to me. They were just like, you're in the group. You need to watch this movie, essentially, was what happened. And uh, it was just an experience. And I just I don't know. I guess that I picked this movie because I kind of at first had misunderstood the point of this podcast. And I thought it was like, these are, this is a movie somebody hasn't act. Most people haven't seen, and I'm going to bring it to them rather than this is a movie that like people have that I'm surprised people haven't seen. So that I, it, was- it works either way. <laughs> cause it, cause we get to talk about this movie. So you interpret it however you want. If you're going to bring <laughs> movies like this to the show, cause this is, this is really interesting. So you said your friends didn't introduce you to it. They just sat you down and, and, and showed it to you. Uh, how long ago was that? How long has this movie been in your life? Uh, I think it's been like two and a half years now. And it's very slowly crept its way up into my top 10 movies of all time list. Oh, my God. <laughs> so I this is one of those movies that I had not only not seen, but despite having Charlie Sheen and Sherilyn Fenn and Randy Quaid, I hadn't even heard of this movie prior to you submitting to be a guest. So this is one of those rare movies that I went into almost completely blind, um, which I guess is not unlike yourself, other than I had a description to go on. (laughs) But it is I mean, it is a bad movie, but it is one of those movies that is so much fun. Um, It doesn't exactly relish in being a bad movie like something like Sharknado. It just is a movie that happens to be bad. And at the same time, there's there's a lot to like here as well. Yeah, absolutely. I I honestly don't understand why this movie isn't like a cult film on the level of like Jawbreaker or like Plan 9 from Outer Space or or uh, any other like bad movie that's a cult film. I I don't understand why. Th- I mean, I guess I kind of understand. It's a little bit mean-spirited. Um and it's hard yes. to <laughs> but it's still I still think it should be a cult film. I still think more people should be like having midnight viewings of this in their homes or whatever. <laughs> yeah, no, I it, it is kind of mean spirited in some ways. I mean, they set the the villain of the film, uh, Packard, who plays who's played by Nick Cassavetes. They they set him up so evil, so over the top. I mean, you said it earlier, cartoonish bad guys, and he is possessive of this girl who I guess 
he thinks is his girlfriend, but she's made it pretty clear. She doesn't want anything to do with him except for the fact that she gets in his car and she does what he says. But there's, there's a line she's, she's made it clear. She's not going to give herself to him. And there is this sense of borderline rape a couple of times in the movie. You, you made the comment about being so eighties. It hurts. Uh, when you, you and I first talked about this, that the word faggot is used as an insult. Uh, so, so it is kind of mean spirited in that way, but I don't think there's anything in there that would keep it from that cult classic status. Like you said. Yeah, I think, so I, I think like the one thing that kind of teeters it from being a cult classic is so Charlie Sheen is ostensibly, ostensibly the hero of this movie and he's ostensibly the main character, but he's barely on screen instead the real main character of this movie is the like horrible possessive cartoon villain bad guy that nick cassavetes plays i am so glad you brought that up because that's in my notes that like 35 40 minutes into it i was like who is the protagonist like who are we supposed to be cheering here for because it's spending more time with these cartoonish bad guys uh than it is with anybody else we're supposed to maybe feel bad or horror at the fact that they're being hunted down by this mystery car that has come into town but at the same time they're the bad guys they've made it so evident that they're the bad guys why would we side with them and and that's definitely a problem narratively that you don't really have a protagonist for a lot of the movie i mean you said it uh charlie sheen's character is supposed to be the hero and he's he disappears for like 30 minutes at a pop yeah he's barely i i always wonder because i i you know, there's the whole thing with Jamie, right? Where he's like the re- can I say that? I don't know how <laughs> detailed oh, yeah, into like okay. Yeah. Let's let's the the plot is these cartoonish bad guys uh killed this kid uh what six months ago or something like that, and now this mystery driver with this awesome mystery car has arrived in town and is slowly taking out the goons one by one. And over the course of the movie, it isn't a huge surprise for the audience to piece together that this mystery driver is Jamie, who was killed before the movie even started. So there you go. Now I've spoiled it for you. <laughs> you go ahead and speak freely. <laughs> oh, oh, good. Okay. <laughs> um, well, no, what I was going to say is like, so the thing is, you know, obviously he's supposed to be the hero and he's not in it enough. And when you look at it, you see that when they do the flashbacks to Jamie, he's played by a completely different actor. So I always, I always like wonder about that. Right. Cause there's no, I couldn't find online, like why they would do that. Like, why would he be not look the same? And then, Clint Howard like recognizes him but it's Charlie Sheen and he's like that's Jamie and it's like but it's clearly not and I so was, I was uh, when I was rewatching it on uh, Monday I was like looking up what else came out around that time and I realized that Charlie Sheen was filming Platoon around the same time so I wonder yeah. if that's why I don't think so. I mean, there's a line of dialogue put in the movie that he says, I came back as close as I could. So the I yes, it's played by two different actors. I, I, I think the at least the narrative excuse is this was as close as he could get to his original form as this new character, Jake Kesey. Random fun fact I found out also is that uh, the guy who wrote the movie uses that name as like a nom de plume. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so he he. But what I I thought was interesting, and I've only seen it the one time. Um, but you're specifically talking about you know it being two different actors. There is a scene later in the movie when Jake is making out with Carrie, the the love interest of the movie played by Sherilyn Fenn, 
and there's a shot from behind as they're kissing and it is so clearly not charlie sheen in that shot it's different (laughs) hair color it's i mean it's just so clearly not him and it's like why would they have a random actor for one insert shot in the movie that's that is a really good question that's the that's the thing about the wraith it leaves you with a lot of questions that will never be answered yeah (laughs) <laughs> well, since you already brought him up, I'm going to shoot to as much as I want to talk about Charlie Sheen and Nick Cassavetes, uh, you brought up to me what was the golden apple of this movie, which is the fact that we have Clint Howard in here rocking a hairstyle that is very clearly modeled after David Lynch's uh, eraser head. I mean, you're used to seeing Clint Howard bald and here he is with this huge pompadour. And uh, he really gets like, I thought he was just going to be momentary. He is the guy who, you know, starts the races. And I thought that was going to be it. And he actually turns into a pretty pivotal character over the course of the movie. Yeah. Oh, man. Yes. Clint Howard, one of my very favorite actors. Uh, But (laughs) he yeah, he's like he's in the gang. He clearly wasn't there when Jamie got murdered. Like they they say that. Uh, and at you one brought point. that up too because you said he recognizes him, but how could he recognize him if he wasn't there when they killed him? Yeah, exactly. So I think I, I have like I have thoughts like he clearly couldn't have been in the gang at that time, right? Because they all went together, and he's he's too good for that gang. Like, sure, he's in like a weird car thief gang that like steals cars and then like through racing and then resells them. And yeah, obviously that's not he's not like a hero or anything, but. It's it's weird to me because he seems like he 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 has a line obviously, and then he goes to Loomis to tell him like, I think that they murdered, uh, Jamie Hankins, and he's just such an interesting character in this movie altogether. Also, great sweater. <laughs> <laughs> I was busy looking at his hair. I never really noticed his sweater because every time he appears, that hair. And I, I love the fact his character's name is Rughead, which is just perfect for that hair he has going on but you know you made the comment he's too good for that gang and the proof of course is in the movie um with the wraith the driver killing one by one the members of the gang and rughead doesn't die yeah he's the only survivor yeah which to me is right there's proof of what you said of him being too good for the gang he's actually a good person yes he's doing some crappy things with these crappy people but I guess inside he's actually a good person. And so the Wraith doesn't kill him. He also is the one, the character who gives us the term the Wraith. Yes. Which is so weird, right? Like it's, it's this really cheesy horror film. And then there's just like, who says, who calls ghosts wraiths? (laughs) Well, and that, that brings us to our critical reviews because that's actually addressed in one of the reviews. Uh, So I always bring in a good and a bad review to kind of give us, points that we might want to talk about that that actually is one of them that i was hoping we would talk about bouncing off of this uh the movie is rated 38 percent at rotten tomatoes 39 percent at metacritic but it has a 61 percent audience score at rotten tomatoes so there are people out there like you who like this movie either that or you and your friends have gone on and rigged the system Shh, don't tell rotten tomatoes <laughs> the positive review comes from Janet Maislin of the New York Times, and she writes, The greatest suspense in The Wraith, which opened yesterday at the National and other theaters, is generated by the problem of how the writer-director Mike Marvin will work a word like Wraith into the dialogue. It wouldn't be car- common parlance under the best of circumstances, let alone in a teenage action film filled with car races. So there you go. The negative review is from Paul 
Atanasio with the Washington Post, who writes, The Wraith is essentially a wall-to-wall car chase that writer-director Mike Marvin attempts to enliven with TV commercial visuals, tough guy dialogue on the order of all right, you crater heads, and modestly inventive casting. There is a running routine, for example, between Skank and Gutterboy, whom Marvin tries to make into Abbott and Costello for morons, if you can imagine such a thing. Then again, there's a nice turn by Clint Howard as Rughead, a mechanic with Coke bottle glasses and a souffle pompadour. There is all too little of the quietly characteristic Sheen and all too much of Casavetes, who is a dead ringer for the young Hugh Hefner. Oh, my. I love that he said that about uh, Skank and Gutterboy. They yes. are <laughs> such a gem in this film. They, I, to the point that I had to look up the actor, specifically the actor who plays Gutter Boy. Uh, so f- f- listeners who have not seen this movie, Skank is the iconic 80s punk rocker with a colored mohawk. And Gutter Boy is this mealy mouthed, um, at the same time, motor mouthed kind of fellow who just kind of has his jaw clenched together and is like, trying to talking really fast. They're both, we're supposed to get the impression that they're also all druggies um, to the point that skank is drinking. What is it? At one point he's drinking uh, hydraulic he, fluid. Yeah. He does WD 40 too. Right. He does WD 40. That's right. So they are the weirdest characters. I, you know, I mean, I, I watched this in my eighties sensibilities was like, yeah, no real honest, genuine punk would be in this kind of situation. <laughs> Yeah, it's it's really weird, right? They first of all, they're they're probably like along with Clint Howard. Actually, all the villains except for like Minty and Augie cuz they're not really interesting, but like the other I, I even like I even think that Packard's like super interesting. They're they're my favorite. The villain gang is like my favorite in the film. Uh but like yeah, Skank and Gutterboy are just fascinating cuz they have this like weird like what are the those two Muppets that like criticize everything? Statler and Waldorf, yes. Yeah, they're like they're like bullies Statler and Waldorf. <laughs> I love that. Oh, there's a <laughs> quote. Bully Statler and Waldorf. Um, yeah, I mean, and it's and, and just in case you didn't catch her saying it, the, the punk's names are uh Packard is the leader, Skank, Gutterboy, Rughead, Augie, and Minty. <laughs> <laughs> I was thinking about this too, like how interesting it is that the there every single person in that gang has like a completely different aesthetic. That you've got like uh, Packard, who's uh, obviously your prototypical you know '80s metalhead kind of bad guy, and then you've got Skank, obviously the punk. You've got Gutterboy, who's like uh, like a hillbilly. You've got Minty, who at like for most of the film he's like a quarterback and then at like one point he's like a wall street broker which was just so confusing <laughs> well and augie who is like almost preppy yeah or maybe that was minty i don't know they all became exchangeable at one point <laughs> no augie's the one who dies for it augie augie by the way is uh played by tatum o'neill's brother really yeah i missed that in my research on the movie that's hilarious griffin o'neill yes i did not uh, <laughs> catch that that's hilarious it's really interesting because the okay so the the poster for the movie is also like we're ta- talking about how like misleading the uh you know the description on amazon is the poster for the movie is charlie sheen Sherilyn fenn nick cassavetes and and griffin o'neill standing looking startled as like light comes down the road. So if you just saw the poster in the eighties, I I can imagine thinking that 
this was a movie about like them being chased down, all being friends and being chased down by some supernatural entity or something like it's <laughs> <laughs> well and the description on imdb is not much better it says after a young man is murdered by road racing gang of motorheads a mysterious fast driving spirit descends from the sky to take revenge which again the young man is murdered i mean it literally is after a young man is murdered because that happens before we even get to this story <laughs> Yeah, from the, from the descriptions of it, you'd think that, like, the murder actually takes place during the movie, but you just get, like, random, very dimly lit flashbacks. Right. And that's, again, that's why I thought I was going to be getting into a crow situation, because everything talks about this young man being murdered. I didn't realize that was going to be, you know, before the movie's events take place. This is one of the many absolutely baffling things about the the rape. <laughs> Well, okay, so let me go with the first absolutely actually let me backtrack to something you just said. You talked about how the villains are all so interesting, which again goes back to the point that I made about are, are they supposed to be the protagonists at one part in the movie? Like I it, it's so hard to follow who we're supposed to be cheering for in this film. <laughs> it's so true and and cuz it's it's ostensibly this is also like a slasher film, right? Like a supernatural slasher film. You've got the Wraith as your uh leather face or, or uh, ghost face or whatever of the movie and he's hunting down the villains so usually in a horror movie you're supposed to be kind of sympathizing with and hoping for the people who are being hunted down to like you know get away and you're you're supposed to be hoping that the leader of them is is going to be the final girl but then the movie presents these villains in such a way that you know they're murderers they road race people and steal their stuff there's some real sexual harassy stuff going on with them you know you can't really root for them but they're also the people being chased down so if you're a big horror person this is like a very confusing sort of situation to be in for sure right so one of the the first perplexing things about this movie for me was the opening scene which sees this couple going down the highway and they encounter packard and his group and are pushed into racing for the pink slip for the guy's car and Packard kind of cheats and they get the pink slip and the couple is told to walk home. And then we get our opening screen of the Wraith. And then that couple is never seen again. (laughs) Exactly. This just constantly establishing Packard's gang is like the centerpiece of this movie. I, I kept waiting for them to show back up or like that was the guy who was murdered. Like that would have made sense to me. And, but I, and I was like, where did they die in the desert? Did they make it back safely? I don't know. And I want to know. And this movie is not going to tell me. <laughs> no, you'll, we'll never find out. It's true. Yeah. <laughs> I don't think I've ever really thought of that as like one of the things that perplexes me about that movie, but you're so right. It's just, it like gets so lost in the everything else that's happening. <laughs> right. Right. Well, and the other thing I noticed about the, that opening race scene is that immediately, I mean, we're less than five minutes in, and the music to this movie is so 80s, it hurts. Oh my god, yeah, that the soundtrack is just so good. That race is a, an Ozzy Osbourne song playing during that. And you, like, Secret Loser? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I mean, it's, it is... If you like 80s music, then this will be a field day for you. If you don't like 80s music, that's going to be another thing against this movie. <laughs> That's true. Yeah. If you're not if you're not into like really rock and roll 80s music, you're not going to like this movie because that's the entire soundtrack for sure. Yeah. So the the next perplexing thing I guess I'll bring up is uh, Sheriff Loomis, 
who we we actually even see a billboard for early in the movie when these mystery lights come out of the sky, uh, played by Randy Quaid, because somebody looked at Randy Quaid and went, yes, he looks like a sheriff. (laughs) (laughs) He is doing his darn best to be like, instead of like acting like any sheriff in any movie, he's he's acting like a, I guess, like a like a a 1950s western sheriff like they were like (laughs) they're like randy we need you to be a sheriff and he was like so clint eastwood got it (laughs) um yeah i mean it's and then i mean they they like try to build this character up and they keep screwing they they keep screwing it up trying to make him impressive like after the first race with the wraith uh, as he's not referred to yet in the movie, because that doesn't come until like another 45 minutes in. Uh, after the first race and Augie dies, the sheriff has the boys cornered and is talking to them and makes the comment about there's not even enough left to him to put into a cigar box. Like, that's how fiery this inferno was. And then the ambulance pulls up and Augie is in it. Right. And then the other thing, like, they, how do they even know that it's Augie from in the first place? Like, his car is off the cliff on fire and they immediately call are like call Loomis. Augie Fisher is dead. It's like what? How? <laughs> <laughs> well, and then he has a terrible line later on when he's eating at the uh, the drive-in. Uh, you can almost miss it. I I I caught it, and I it, like something went weird. But it was reading about it that that actually clued me into it. But there's somebody says something about it's free for the for the sheriff or you know something like that, and he makes a comment about being a lieutenant. And it's like, right. no, you're the you're the sheriff. You're not a you you outrank a lieutenant. What are you talking about? He's so, he oh he's such a perplexing character. He is he is so fun. And then the other thing I wrote this down in my notes that I took was that um when he's talking to them after the 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 gang after Augie's death, Packard is being a dick, and he's like, you know, like, do you have a warrant? And uh, so then when he leaves, he's like, I'll be back with a warrant. And then when he goes to visit. Uh, skank and gutter boy at the dead airplane airfield they apparently work at uh, right. <laughs> another weird thing in the movie they're like do you have a warrant and he's like i don't need a warrant i've got my badge right. that's not how it works <laughs> <laughs> um yeah i mean he has some great one-liners uh in the movie um, I'm hoping a couple of them are showing up here on imdb because i didn't write them all down but he he makes like just the weirdest things like like you said the, I don't need a, a a warrant when I've got a badge and at the end of the movie they've got roadblocks set up and the the wraith has killed his last vi- victim uh the the gang is taken care of and Loomis is just like there's no need to keep the roadblocks up you can't you can't stop something that's not going to stop yeah <laughs> or I even wrote it down roadblocks won't stop something that can't be stopped like <laughs> what <laughs> like, nothing to Loomis has at this point or at any point in the movie suggested that this is supernatural and he just out of nowhere accepts that this is something supernatural like he hasn't even seen the charlie sheen alien ghost and and he's like nope right can't do it yeah and and that was the comment i i made was that uh, in my notes was loomis's conclusion is right packard's gang is all gone it's going to leave but it's not earned there's absolutely no reason to think that packard would get what's going on and yet he does Loomis just he just knows somehow he's and then he's like right after that he you know Charlie Sheen is going to take uh, Sherilyn Fenn away on his motorcycle forever 
and uh, Loomis is just sitting outside her house watching like, yep, this is expected. And it's like, why did you even suspect anything having to do with Charlie Sheen? You guys never had any interaction this whole movie. Right, right, right. Well, and you have to, I mean, I couldn't find any evidence of it anywhere, but you have to think that the sheriff's name being Loomis has to be paying respect to John Carpenter's Halloween. Oh, well, yeah, 100%. They, there's, there's, a, there's another John Carpenter connection in there, too, because when uh, the Wraith comes in and shoots up the garage, Gutterboy says to Skink, who was that? And Skink says, I don't know, but he was weird and pissed off. Right. Right. And that's a paraphrase of a line used in the thing. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> you can tell these writers really like John Carpenter. Well, and, and what's not to like, but they didn't quite capture the spirit of John Carpenter with this movie. <laughs> I would never want to see anyone redo this movie because the fact that it's so baffling is what makes it perfect to me. But if John Carpenter did this movie, I, I think I'd be okay with that. A year ago, Micah Jones set out to record a podcast about her recurring nightmares. All she wanted was to finally get some sleep. Instead, unnerving coincidences began to pile up, and someone from her past resurfaced to recount a story that upended her world. Now she and her friends are determined to discover the truth, even if it costs them everything. Find how it ends on iTunes, Stitcher, or wherever else you get your podcasts. Hey, Jen. Hey, Micah. Remember watching the Friends premiere? No, I never saw that. Oh, but remember those first Wu-Tang solo albums that came out? No, I don't. Remember that terrible Frasier theme song? Oh, my God. Remember I was sent away from home when I was 16, sent to, like, the middle of nowhere, Montana, therapeutic boarding school, none of this rings a bell? Oh, yeah. Join us for I Never Saw That, a podcast about mid-90s pop culture and Montana. What about ER? You saw that, though, right? No! So there, there are. I was when I was looking up this movie, and of course looking at, at research for the show. There are several other movies titled The Wraith or Wraith, but none of them have any connection. I was like, please tell me there's been a remake or a sequel or something, because this movie just begs for something to be done with this. And unfortunately, no, it hasn't been. I'm kind of glad, honestly, that there hasn't been. I feel like so this is going to be a real weird position to take, but I feel like things get overexplained a lot now in movies you know and oh, i know nothing, i totally agree <laughs> there's nothing wrong with explaining things for sure you know there, to a degree it's cool but i think that the thing that makes this movie for me so charming and like one of the things that makes it like one of my top movies is just that there's so much about this movie that is never going to be explained and i'll never get to understand and then i get to just <laughs> theorize about it with people that have watched the movie and that makes it you know that's more fun for me i wouldn't want a, a remake where they're like oh okay well so the reason that loomis knows is because uh, he was, I don't know, actually standing close by when Jamie got killed or, or something like that. Like, I don't know. I would ra- I, I'd rather have the movie I have than have a remake that ends up getting done like the Chucky remake or something like that. You know, no, I totally like ha- Halloween is almost kind of the perfect example of that. The remake tries so hard to overly justify how Michael Myers acts. Why? I mean, I liked the fact in the original movie, he was the shade, you know, that was, that was it. And 
uh, yeah, I mean, I totally agree with you that they overexplain things. And this this definitely gets some points for not having things explained, although there are certainly other things I'd like to be explained. So we were talking about the body appearing. So Augie, there's not enough to fit in a cigar box. The body shows up and it has its eyes are burned out. Yes. The, and all the uh, supposedly all the bodies do. You, you, you don't see anyone's but Augie's. But yeah, they, those eyes. Pretty cool. Right. Well, and you see Packard's. You do You do see his uh, at the very end. Does he have his eyes burned out too? Well, you don't see his eyes. His eyes are closed. He, uh, frankly, he looked like he was asleep. I was waiting for him to, <laughs> because he's the villain. I was waiting for him to get back up and be like, I'm the badass. I'm going to take on that wraith or something like that. No, he's, he's dead. But so I was reading Mike Marvin said it was kind of his inspiration was like lightning striking where lightning strikes something and it's burned and everything else can be absolutely pristine. And it was kind of like the opposite of that so that everything else is burned, but the the specific target that the Wraith was targeting is pristine is clean other than their eyes being burned out. That, that is, that's interesting. I hadn't heard that. Uh, yeah, obviously that'd be kind of cool to know why the eyes for sure. Like I'm not big on most of the things that's maybe being explained, but like, that's that's a good that's a good point the the like the eyes specifically and it's also every time there's a body there's the those braces i was just about to bring that up yeah i always theorized that the reason with the braces is because you know like when you're in a really bad accident they put you in in like different in braces to kind of help you uh you know like a leg brace an arm brace or whatever but that theory kind of falls flat because you know jamie wasn't he he didn't get in an accident he was like stabbed in the back four times and uh and he didn't live long enough to wear braces he was dead (laughs) yeah exactly i i kind of wonder if they had a different idea because i think that one thing that would have brought this movie up into like less of a a a what the hell plot and more of like a this makes more sense (laughs) is if jamie had died through the races right like it would have brought it more together because then it would explain why he's racing them to kill them. It would have been like more poetic justice. And then it would have explained the, then the braces would have made sense, but you know. <laughs> well, and it doesn't help that, you know, most of the braces we see laying on the ground, but the very first brace we see is on his arm, the, is on the Wraith's arm and we see it light up and disappear. And then the next time we see the Wraith, it's back. He has this brace on again. And it was like, okay, so that didn't really go away. It was just for that one shot. Yeah, that's true. Yeah, the the braces are another thing that are very inconsistent and don't make a lot of sense. Uh, absolutely. Yeah. And, and I couldn't find any explanation about that other than just it's supposed to like symbolize or represent his his bonds weakening or his bonds going away and his power growing. But I don't see it. I mean, it's he doesn't really get more powerful. He doesn't become a better racer. He just does the exact same shtick four times to get rid of all of the goons. That's well, three times because the the third time he uh, he just drives a car into a uh, into a building and explodes it like the well, Batmobile, that's true. <laughs> which was an awesome explosion, by the way. I think I've seen that explosion reused elsewhere. I think it's that good. I wouldn't be surprised. That was that was honestly. A real good explosion for sure. I I love I love like Clint Howard is just like out there and he just watches the the car like drive into the building and then it just explodes. I wonder if if all ghosts get exploding cars. I feel like 
<laughs> all dogs go to heaven. All ghosts get exploding cars. <laughs> what do you have to do to like when you're when you die, like to get an exploding car? I wonder, is it because he died in a in because well, he didn't die in the car though. He was no. already dead. <laughs> like it doesn't. It's so strange. Also, another thing that's really interesting to me that I I, I think I only noticed this time around was. I mean, I've always noticed that Charlie Sheen has, uh, you know, scars in the place places where Jamie was stabbed. But right. I realized this time that they kind of are starting. They start to fade throughout the movie. Oh, okay. Like when you see him uh, shirtless at the the rocks that pass for a <laughs> beach in Arizona. Yeah, that was my comment in the notes. Is you know, it's nice that uh, Arizona has a river coming through because bikinis. Yeah, you know. <laughs> Listen, it wouldn't be a 1980s movie if, it, if there wasn't bikinis, right? Right, right. <laughs> but, yeah, uh, when you that's the first time you see him. And of course, conveniently, he can be shirtless in that scene so that you can see the scars. And the audience right there, I think, puts together what's going on. But the movie takes a while to actually verify it. Yeah, it's it's really and they're very red at the beginning, too. And then uh, also, it's another thing that I noticed is that like, there, obviously, again, Charlie Sheen is not in a lot of scenes, and the only places you really ever see him are like the river and uh, in front of uh, what's her face's house. There's like two other scenes where he's in where he's not at those, but like those are the most. Uh, what is Carrie at Carrie's house? He also is at um, Big K's uh, burger joint. Yeah, I, guess, I mean, I think he's only there like once though to pick for like five seconds to pick her up so that they can go on their oh, little true. bicycle adventure and then get chased down by a uh, skanking gutter boy. <laughs> well, he does return there at the end because the way we learn about Jamie's death, again, it doesn't happen on screen. It happened before the events of the movie. The way we as an audience learn about it is his brother, who's still alive, uh, Billy, uh, telling the newcomer in town, who is Jake, about his brother's death. And then at the end, uh, Jake takes this awesome car and gives it to Billy, you know, because they're, they were brothers. And he says to him that it has lots of, that it, it's got lots of special features. He does. Yeah. It does. Uh, no, it does very special things. That's what he says. It does very special things. And he leaves it with his brother. So this supernatural car is now in the hands of this grill cook. What, what where is your speculation there? What happens next with that? Okay, so I think that uh, I th I think that it's still pretty fast, but I can't imagine that it can still turn into comets. Though I feel like it, I feel like it'd be against like heaven policy to give somebody who's not dead a car that turns into comets. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> but <laughs> I don't know. Um, yeah, I think that Billy takes the car and and probably. Maybe he goes on an adventure of his own. Maybe now that now that his tormentors are dead uh, and his brother, instead of being like, hey, I'm your brother, let's have an emotional moment. He's like, hey, I'm going to kind of hint that I'm your brother and I'm going to give you the sweet car, but uh, I, I need to go bang Cheryl and Fenn. Goodbye. <laughs> I felt so bad for him because he watches Jake ride off and calls out you know jake 
and you see this dawning realization on his face and he starts crying out for his brother, Jamie. And it's like, you're never going to get that closure. Now you got a sweet car, but we're not actually going to give you emotional closure over this. You're going to be scarred the rest of your life. (laughs) Listen, you, you can, you can only pick one giving your brother emotional closure or Cheryl and Fenn. I mean, it's got to be Cheryl and Fenn, right? Although she's give okay, everyone. I feel like most of the people in this movie are giving a top performance, but Cheryl and Fenn is not. Uh, she Ooh. is. <laughs> I'm gonna come down hard on Cheryl and Fenn's performance in this movie. Apparently, <laughs> she's uh, she's she's got like. She's not, she's kind of like emotionless for the most of the movie, which is sad because she should have a lot more emotion. Like the whole crux of the movie is like her boyfriend was murdered. The guy who murdered her boyfriend is like holding her emotional captive. And now her boyfriend's back in town and he's either an alien or a ghost. We're not 100% sure. And she's like, I don't know. She she doesn't really like, I think that she could tell that this movie wasn't going to do super well. And she was just like, eh. <laughs> <laughs> Nick Cassavetes was like, I don't care if this movie does well. I'm going to give this my all. I'm going to go 100% in on this sociopath thing. And by God, does he do it? His line about um, uh, after you love someone so much for a while, you feel nothing. was like, what the hell? Dude, you are crazy. Oh my god! And then he's like, "We're like bro- blood brothers. I guess we're blood lovers." Which every time I hear it, I just die a little bit inside. Uh, it's not, that's that's a weird thing to say to the person that you're trying to convince you're in love with. So I gotta ask you about that because you know I I I had this happen before. We had a, a female guest bring Clockwork Orange, which does not treat ver- women very well. And here we have the Wraith and you are female and it does not treat women very well. How do you rationalize that or do you just ignore it entirely? Well, you know, I <laughs> I take it for what it is, which is a movie about where there's there's only one female character. I mean, like unless you count the the one the one girl that uh is hooking up with with Packard like late in the movie and it's not 100% clear if it's like consensual because it seems like it is and then Loomis is like are you okay which kind of implies that it's not right and that was so weird because it totally looked consensual until Loomis asks that and then throws her the jacket that's hanging there by the door yeah it's very strange but yeah there's like there's only really one female character in this movie and it doesn't really I mean it doesn't really bother me like it's I guess I don't necessarily feel like I rationalize or ignore it. I accept it for what it is. And I realize that the much more interesting thing to think about here is like all the weird stuff that's going on. And then if I want to watch a movie where I can feel like there are more women and where it's like going to be a good female horror movie is uh, I go and watch Jennifer's body. So. Oh my god, you pulled out Jennifer's body. <laughs> I love Jennifer's body. I know a lot of people don't like that movie, but I feel like it's the marketing really did that movie bad. Yes, I yes, that's another example of where marketing did a a huge disservice to the movie. Okay, that's that's interesting. I just that was one of the things that really bothered me uh watching this was the 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 real way they set Packard up as as the villain is this over the top cartoonish villain is just this 
absolutely fanatical behavior about she will be his, she will do what he says, she will be where he says she will not be with anybody else. And it was it was property. And I was just like, I I have so much trouble condoning that in any way, I guess. Well, yeah, I I definitely understand where you're coming from and I agree with you. It's absolutely terrifying. But I think that the reason it doesn't bother me, uh I mean it bothers me in like the way that Gaston bothers me in Beauty and the Beast, right? Like it's not but it's not being condoned by the movie. The movie's not giving any indication that this behavior is okay. He's getting like <laughs> he's constantly getting told that that's wrong by both her and by Billy. And he just happens to be this like absolutely terrifying guy. So it's hard for people to kind of stand up to him. And then, I mean, even though she's treated really terribly the whole movie, Sherilyn Fenn does get a moment where she gets to like stand up and be like, hey, fuck you. And like gets out of the car. So (laughs) (laughs) well, and, and, you know, that was the other thing that really stood out to me was, you know, Sherilyn Fenn has made it clear that she will not give herself to Packard. But she's doesn't take too long to go topless for uh, Jake. <laughs> well, obviously, that's because she knows that he's the spirit of her dead boyfriend, right? No, just, I'm just kidding. <laughs> she, she just saw that that 1986 Charlie Sheen, and she was like, "She's like, I gotta have that. This is this is what's hot right now." <laughs> 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 well, he's about to be. She she wasn't completely wrong. Yeah, one one month. It was like a because the Wraith came out in November '86, and then Platoon, which really launched his career, came out in December. Yeah, I mean it's it's uh it, the timing of this. It, it it's one of those you know if it had been a, a few months later, it could have really played on uh his popularity. And unfortunately, it came out the the, the wrong order for this movie. I think it's interesting because I feel like. There's there's a lot of like n- people that are known in this movie. You know, you got Randy Quaid, you got Clint Howard, you've got Charlene Fenn, you've got Nick Cassavetes, uh, you've got obviously Charlie Sheen, but like none of them are like really big names at the time, right? right. Like, and even now, I don't feel like. I mean, Charlie Sheen's a huge name, but like if you said like Charlene Fenn or Clint Howard or Nick Cassavetes to like your average person, I don't know if they'd be like, oh, I know who that is, like. Yeah, I mean, Sherilyn Fenn definitely has a following because of Twin Peaks yeah. um, and, and, and and other stuff that she's done, but she certainly has. But I, I think you're right. If you said it to the average person, they probably wouldn't know who she is. I, I think the only people who walk away from this movie where people know them by name would be Charlie Sheen and Randy Quaid. Yeah, that's true. Randy Qu- <laughs> Although I don't know, like, it's Randy Quaid. Do people know him because of movies he's done or do they know him because he's Dennis Quaid's brother? Oh, <laughs> I love Randy. I have a note in my notebook that just is Randy Quaid in all capital letters. So (laughs) I think mine's not that far removed from that. Mine is Loomis in capital letters with Randy Quaid's name next to it. So, Um, no, I mean, I think people know him from like the uh, National Lampoon movies as, you know, especially Christmas Vacation. Uh, Oh, my God. That's right. He's in and and Independence Day. He's an ID4. He is in the in the Independence Day movie. Uh, I have not seen that one. So, oh really? Yeah, okay. maybe I'll have to watch it now. I do. I do enjoy a Randy Quaid movie. I have a good Randy Quaid movie that is another movie that a lot of people haven't seen, which is Freaked, written and starring Alex Winter from Bill and Ted. Which I am familiar with it, but I don't believe I've seen it in its entirety. Oh, that's a that's he's 
Randy Quaid is Randy Quading it his hardest in this movie and in that movie. There's just <laughs> a lot of low a lot of lower jaw clenching going on in those movies. A lot of uh a lot of the the Randy Quaid eyes, you know. <laughs> All right, so what about the Wraith have we not talked about that you want to make sure we get in? Um hmm. I feel like I I feel like mostly I I think that I'm looking at my notes right now and I think everything in there i also wrote blood lovers in all capital letters (laughs) it's such a creepy moment oh it's so bad (laughs) i wrote down one of my favorite lines in the movie which is uh when (laughs) when uh nick cassavetti is is like goes up and and he's talking to uh to skank and gutter boy and he says to skank get rid of that zombie piss you're drinking before it turns you into a mushroom which is just such an (laughs) a weird (laughs) thing to say Right. <laughs> but but that line isn't what makes it perfect. I mean, I loved that line, but what makes it perfect is after Packard walks away and he takes another swig, uh, Gutter Boy goes, mushroom. <laughs> <laughs> also, I think that was motor oil that he was drinking in that scene. He doesn't do any normal drugs. Like the whole movie, he's just, it's like motor oil, hydraulic fluid, WD-40, and then he dies. <laughs> right. Um, I did want to mention the film is dedicated to Bruce Ingram, who was an assistant camera operator who was killed in the production of this movie. They rolled a camera car at one point and he was killed. Yes. (laughs) (laughs) All right. uh, Let's move into our end credits here. First up, we have The Algorithm Says. This is a list of movies various algorithms have said you will like because you liked The Wraith. So this is like a lightning round of responses. Do you like this movie? Do you know this movie? Do you not even see how they're connected? Because I got to tell you, some of these are freaking weird. (laughs) Okay. All right. First up, The Chase. I don't. I've never heard of that. All right. It's another kind of car movie with Charlie Sheen, but this time with Christy Swanson. Mm, I do like Christy Swanson. (laughs) All right. Men at Work. Nope. Doesn't ring a bell. Wow. See, that one was pretty mainstream. That's Charlie Sheen and Emilio Estevez. Uh, comedy type movie. All right. Oh, I, I have the feeling we're going to get into a lot that you haven't heard of, but we'll see. Um, over the top. Who's in that? Sylvester Stallone playing a truck driver. Oh no, I have seen that one. Yeah, that's okay. Oh, really? Yeah. I had I had a Sylvester Stallone uh, period in my life. <laughs> <laughs> but but you got better. Yeah, I got better. <laughs> All right. Uh, Route six six six. Oh, I've heard of that. I don't think I've seen it, but I've definitely heard of that movie. Okay. Uh, Dreamscape. Oh, okay. Yeah, I've, I've definitely heard of that. Uh, and I don't know if I've seen it, though. Okay. The only connection I could find is it's got Dennis Quaid in it. So there goes your theory about uh, Dennis Quaid's brother. <laughs> <laughs> um, Split Second. No, I'd never heard of that. Oh, it's a good one. And it's another one that's, it's not bad on this level, but it is not high budget. It's a Rutger Hauer sci-fi movie <gasps> that's definitely worth checking out. All you had to say was Rutger Hauer and I'm in. Yeah, it's it's good. It's one of my favorite Rutger Hauer performances. I mean, after, you know, Lady Hawk and, and Blade Runner, obviously. But, oh, yeah. I love Lady Hawk. Oh, me too. Me too. Um, okay. Now we get into some of the weird ones. Okay. Mr. Church. Uh, n- No. <laughs> It's an Eddie Murphy movie, and it huh. seems to be like a dying girl and a family gathered together because of that or something like that. I couldn't really tell, but I was like, how the hell is this connected with the Wraith? Um, okay. The Open Road. 
Oh, I feel like I've seen that. It has Justin Timberlake and Jeff Bridges in it. Oh, yeah. No, I, I have seen that. I, meh. Uh, meh? Okay. Okay. <laughs> so you like The Wraith, but The Open Road with Justin Timberlake is meh. <laughs> yeah. Okay. <laughs> I'm, I have, I have a, a certain level of quality I expect from a movie. obviously uh the last warrior oh uh i'm not sure who's in that dolph lundgren i think i think i have seen that actually okay i can't remember it though and finally the one i just cannot find a connection with whatsoever curse of chucky oh yeah of course i've seen curse of chucky (laughs) yeah highly recommend here's a movie that wait highly recommend curse of chucky yeah Oh my god. All the Chucky movies, except for the new one. The new one has nothing is it, it could have been its own movie and it they put Chucky's name on it and it's like, no, why? Also, here's a movie that's I think is connected that I didn't hear on that list, which is Tammy and the T Rex, which is basically the Wraith, but if you replaced the car chases with a dinosaur. Tammy and the T Rex? Yes. I am writing that one down too. <laughs> I, I, I told my friends when I saw it that I thought I think it's the spiritual successor to the Wraith. They don't necessarily agree with me, but I'm going to stick by that belief. <laughs> I'm just cracking up by the fact that you think this movie has a spiritual successor period. <laughs> all right. We always end with four multiple choice questions, a little pop quiz, if you will. Are you ready? Yeah, I'm ready. All right. The Wraith was writer-director Mike Marvin's second film as a director. He has had a continued career as a producer, but largely stopped directing after a string of made-for-TV movies in the mid-90s where he went credited under what name? (laughs) A, Jake Kesey, B, Jamie Hankins, C, Packard Walsh, or D, Skank Gutterboy? (laughs) It was A. (laughs) Yes. Yep, you brought that up earlier. Yeah, I cannot imagine that he had a part of his career where he wanted to go under the name of a dead character from his second movie or first movie. (laughs) He was like, this is where I peaked. I peaked in this, uh, the Wraith, and that's it. <laughs> uh, 1986. Number sorry, number two. 1986 proved to be a good year for Charlie Sheen, despite the Wraith not performing incredibly well. Which of these Sheen breakout performances was not in 1986? Ooh. A. Ferris Bueller's Day Off. B. Lucas. C. Platoon. Or D. Wall Street. Wall Street. Yep, that was 1987. Came a year later. But you got to admit that's a pretty good run for his first appearance in Ferris Bueller's Day Off to Platoon in the same year. I know, right? 1986 was really his year. Yeah. Can can we go back and stop that? No. Um, <laughs> that's what that's what 2020 is missing. We have not had Charlie Sheen in 2020 yet. Oh man, someone phone Charlie Sheen and tell him to like do a crazy Twitter rant or something. I don't know if he has Twitter, but he should get one to do a rant. We need it. I think yeah. that's what we need this year. All right, number three, the Wraith almost saw the addition of another blossoming actor as one of Packard's goons simply because he was on set due to his romantic involvement with Sherilyn Fenn, who was almost in the cast. A, Emilio Estevez, B, Johnny Depp, C, Chris Penn, or D, Prince. It was Johnny Depp. It was Johnny Depp. I almost which, brought that up too. Which I see, you know this movie. That's great. Which if you think about it, you know, Platoon. Yeah, that's true. <laughs> 
All right, number four, last question. Unfortunately, with the Netflix series canceled, it doesn't look like The Wraith will get its turn on MST3K, but it was a film considered for the show as it is a favorite, quote, bad movie of all time by what revival cast member? A, Jonah Ray, B, Patton Oswalt, C, Felicia Day, or D, Joel Hodgson? Oh, um, hmm. Is it, is it Jonah Ray? It is not Jonah Ray. It is Felicia Day. Oh, she has great taste. Doesn't she? I mean, it's like another reason to love Felicia Day. Like, I needed another reason, but yes. Oh, man. I I, I hope they can get more Mystic episodes out. And do yeah. This. Unfortunately, Netflix has said no, but given that show, they will just find another home. <laughs> yeah. All right. Uh, where can people find you? What do you want to promote? Oh, um, okay. So I am on... Uh, I'm on the Lucky Die podcast, uh, which is a D&D 5e actual play that is on Twitter at TLD pod. And then I'm also uh, I also am on and produce a podcast called Rememorex Not a Test, which is an actual play podcast of a system my friend wrote called Rememorex. Um, if you like if you're really into 80s and horror, um, which you might be if you liked The Wraith. Uh, you should check it out because it is an 80s AP horror podcast. So, And then you can find me on Twitter at uh, Child of Ginevra. Child of Ginevra. Okay. And you did mention that you write as well. Is there anywhere anybody can find your writing? Oh, yeah. Um, so I write tabletop games. Um, I write uh, with Nerdy City. Um, they're on Twitter at City Nerdy. Uh, and then I also write my own games. Um, I wrote, <laughs> if you like bad movies, I wrote a game based on the movie Cats. Um, and oh, no. <laughs> that is that is a different type of bad movie than The Wraith. That's not fair. <laughs> uh, <laughs> well, I, I mean, I thought it was I went to see it like five times in theaters. Not going to. Not gonna lie about that. I, I like I said at the beginning of this, uh, I have very questionable taste. <laughs> I won't deny it. I'm not gonna ever pretend that I that I have good taste. Uh, so that's on itch.io/slash Child of Ginevra. Or if you go to my Twitter, I have like a link tree, and you can find it through there. I also Fantastic. run games for for money. If you want to hire me to run a game, you should do that. Broadcast-13.com fantastic well you've certainly delighted the heck out of me with this conversation first of all not even knowing that you were connected to one of my past guests but secondly this was just a fun movie as i said once i got past the initial this is not a good movie stage uh this was one that i really could kind of jump in and enjoy even though it was bad so i i appreciate you introducing me to the wraith i don't know that it'll be a mainstay among my friends but i i love that i've now seen it Oh, I'm glad. And thank you for having me on. This was a lot of fun. I I never really get to, I mean, I get to talk about movies with my friends a lot, but I have a lot of movie opinions and it's always fun to, to talk about them with other people. So that does it for this week, but you can keep the conversation going throughout the week on social media. Share your thoughts about The Wraith, or maybe tell me about a movie you'd like to come on the show and talk about. You can find me at Talon Hess on Twitter and Letterboxd, that's T-A-L-N-H-E-S-S, or the show at Have Not Seen This on Twitter, on Facebook, or at Have Not Seen This Podcast, or email me at HaveNotSeenThis at gmail.com. And of course, don't forget to subscribe to the show so you don't miss any of our upcoming episodes, including next week's episode where we're heading to the Double Deuce assuming the bouncer will let us in. But you know, I thought he'd be bigger. 
This podcast is available through all major podcast sources. Positive ratings and reviews are always welcome, as is just sharing the podcast with a friend and spreading the love. And if you like World of Warcraft or other Blizzard games, be sure to check out my other podcast, Citizens of Azeroth, also available through all major podcast sources. Special thanks to Chris Talent for our wonderful theme song, and thanks to Casey for providing this week's conversation. Until next week, I'm Rafe Telsch, and this has been Have Not Seen This. Be kind to each other.